Rest? What rest? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Most of us live in a perpetual state of near exhaustion, and we blame it on the pace and stress of modern life, but our ancestors were just as tired as we are, maybe more. Well, in the Bible, God promises rest, and he gives rest. In fact, there are several different kinds or levels of rest that we should understand. Jim will open with prayer. Heavenly Father, tonight we come to you on the basis of that amazing grace. We thank you so much for Calvary. We thank you for conscience within our own beings that probe us and remind us that we're not walking even according to the good and evil that we know instinctively. We're not obeying those things. And thank you for bringing conviction to our souls and spirits. Thank you for your word that points out the solution and offers that grace and describes how that grace works and tells us about the incredible work that Jesus did that makes that grace possible to us. Thank you for your delight, your invitation to cast our cares on you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of family. Thank you for those dear folks that are blood-related to each of us in this room, and some of them don't know you yet, Lord Jesus, and we're concerned, and we pray that you would work your grace and love in those hearts and lives and bring them to trust you. Thank you for the phenomenal promises about the future. Thank you for telling us what tomorrow's newspapers will read. Thank you for the promise that someday you will make everything right and you will deal with great justice with those who push back against that rightness, whether they be extraterrestrial, demonics, fallen angels, or whether they be empowered personages with great ego and great pride. You will make everything right. And our hearts yearn for that world, that time when there'll be no death, no sorrow, no sickness, no separation, when you make all things new, and when we see you face to face, not like now, but then face to face, when we will wear your name on our foreheads, when angels will do, will do the work, And we will be blessed beyond our comprehension because we are sons of the living God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all these things. And I pray that tonight as we open your word, you'll help us move through this uh, very interesting passage and help us to understand it and then to grasp it and to apply it. Teach us your rest, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. We're in the middle of a discussion. The writer takes us through a series of arguments or a series of truths contrasting Jesus, what he did, and why that matters with other 
significant themes of Scripture. In the first two chapters, we learned that Jesus is greater than the angelic host, all those extraterrestrial beings that are smarter than we are, <laughs> more powerful than we are, older than we are. Powerful, powerful group of people. But we learned in chapter 1 and 2 that Jesus exceeds all of them in power and glory because he's God. And because he was willing as God to come and become a man, coming down lower than the angels, becoming one of us, and in that condition, dying on the cross in our place for our sins. Incredible, incredible. That's chapter 1 and 2. And in chapter 3, the writer reminds us that Jesus is greater than Moses. You'll see it there in chapter 3 and in verse 3, 3-3. Three, three. It just simply says that Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses. And we've talked about that a little bit in past meetings. But tonight we move beyond that to chapter 4 and note verse 1. Therefore, while the promise remains of entering his rest, his, capital H, his, the rest that Jesus provides, the rest that Jesus enjoys. Therefore, while the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear so that none of you should miss it. For we also have received the good news just as they did, a reference to Moses in the wilderness. But the message they heard from Moses in the wilderness, from God through Moses in the wilderness, the message that they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith or since they didn't believe. They heard the message, saw the signs, refused to follow Moses, Joshua, Caleb, refused to follow God. So you know what happened. God said, okay, you turkeys, don't believe in me. You'll die in the wilderness. You will not enter into my rest. Period. Judgment. So they fell in the wilderness. Reading this week, I was reminded that that's, that's about, the number is estimated from 600,000 to 900,000. 600,000 to 900,000 people who came out of Egypt under Moses' leadership perished in the wilderness. That's a lot of carcasses. Why did they perish? Because they did not take the message from God through Moses seriously and believe it. Others did, but they didn't. And in rejecting the message and refusing to take the message by faith and to believe it and therefore act when God said, go in the land, they refused to act. They turned back, made all kinds of excuses. God said, okay, I'll give you the wilderness and you'll just stay in the wilderness. And for another 38 years, they wandered in the wilderness. That's what's behind that verse. Because they didn't receive the message in faith, they perished. Notice verse 3, for we who have believed enter the rest. Now that means the author includes himself and those who have believed God's message to us in Jesus Christ concerning Jesus' rest. 
So the writer, the author, recognizes that in his audience there are two groups of people. There are those who have understood that Jesus has provided rest and that Jesus in the gospel promises rest, rest. And if we believe him and appropriate that, we will have rest. But he's concerned that there are others in his audience who have not mixed, who have not received, who have not taken that message of rest that Jesus promises and provides and appropriated to themselves. But don't miss that first phrase in verse 3. We who have believed enter the rest. We who have believed have a position in Jesus Christ that results in rest. Let's stop and talk about that for just a moment. Way back in the days of Noah, we are told that Noah was called Noah. <laughs> he got his name. His mommy and daddy said, we're going to name you Noah because we're trusting God that in and through you, God will bring for us rest. Remember that? God will bring for us rest from our labors. Now, it'd be easy to get stuck right there, but we'll get stuck there later when we come to chapter 11. Just remember this point, that the word Noah, the name Noah, apparently means rest. It has to do with comfort. And Noah's mommy and daddy said, we are so weary, so tired, so beat down by all of this lawlessness, all of this curse on the land, all of these thorns and thistles. We are so beat down, we desperately need rest. They named their son. Noah. And that's exactly what God chose to do. Maybe mom and dad, through the preaching of grandpa and great-grandpa, understood that God had promised to bring rest to the world, rest through the flood. We're not told the background of all that, but just remember that, because it points out that all the way back before there was an Abraham, before there was a law, before there was Moses, before there was a Melchizedek, before there was a Joshua, a David, a Daniel, people living in the world who knew God were weary and longing for rest. Remember that. The author tells us that Jesus gives us a rest. It's a promise. The promise of entering his rest is out there. It's furnished to us by Jesus. When I was doing the conference thing years ago, just before Earth's crust hardened, I remember going to conferences and the opening session, I would start out with, tell me if you could get one thing tonight at this conference, what would it be? And they'd say it a thousand different ways, but usually it boiled down to, I'm dead tired. I want rest. And I would try to find stories and anecdotes and stuff to keep them awake during that first hour because I knew that their bodies were absolutely drained. You here tonight, among the top three or four things on your request list is rest. Rest. We are so pressured. We are so driven. 
We are so convoluted. We are so troubled. The world is a troubled place to live. People have problems, and we have problems, and you can paint your own picture. But rest, rest is one of the top things our Creator knows we need. Sometimes we think we need more information, and we may. Sometimes we think we need more money, and it may seem that way. But the bottom of the pile, one of the fundamental issues in life is to get rest, rest. Well, the author of this passage, this, this book, this book of Hebrews, is working off of quoting Psalm 95. And he's going to tell us in a few minutes who the author was. But in that psalm, God's speaking about Moses and the people in the wilderness. And he said, you guys, in my wrath, I swore you would not enter into my rest. And for them, following Moses, that meant they didn't get to go into the land of milk and honey, a land that God offered them. And listen, 38 years later, when their children actually entered the land of Joshua, with the exception of the 38 soldiers who were killed at Ai, not one Israeli soldier died in the conquest of the land of Canaan. Did you remember that? Why? Because God gave Joshua victory after victory after victory after victory after victory, just like he did at Jericho. Here's the point. Rest means God's going to give gifts without you straining to earn it. That's what he offered. He said, I'm going to take you into the land. I'm going to settle you in the land. It's going to be your land. I will protect you and bless you there. And that take you into the land, man, he had all the bases covered. He knew exactly what he was doing. God was in charge. And all they had to do was follow. That's all they had to do. Remember Jericho? Every day, march once around. Seventh day, seven times around. And then blow the trumpets. And the walls came tumbling down. Joshua did that? No. God did that. God did that. In every one of those battles that Joshua fought, God supernaturally gave the victory. He was giving the land over to the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob under the leadership of Joshua. God would have done that under Moses 38 years earlier, but the people balked because they didn't believe. They had an evil heart of unbelief. They didn't trust God. So the psalm is looking back on that occasion. But the psalm was written 400 or 500 years after that historic occasion. And David is the author. Look at it there in verse, uh, in verse 7. You'll see that. So David, who lived a 1,000 years before Christ, wrote the psalm, a revelation from God, about something that happened four or 500 years earlier, 400, 450 years earlier, when Moses was leading the people out of Egypt. See that? They're in the wilderness. See that? And from that historic experience, David quotes God, or pens what God's word was, and God says, I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest. And then David says that the rest, the promise that God made 
through Abraham to the nation of Israel that they rejected, that that promise is still active today, but it's active in the person and work of Jesus. Am I confusing you? It'll get muddier before it gets clear. Let's go back to our theme. There is a promise of rest, verse 1. A promise of entering into Jesus' rest, God's rest. A rest that is not earned, a rest that is supernatural, a rest that is comforting, a rest that brings assurance, peace, strength, and all that you need in order to prosper in every area of your life. A rest. There remains the promise of rest in Jesus, entering into his rest. Well, let's pick up our reading again uh, right there after that quote. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Yet his works, God's works, Jesus' works, have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about, about the seventh day in this way. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Hang on, don't quit yet. Again, in that passage, he said, they will never enter my rest since it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news, Moses, etc., did not enter it because of disobedience. Again, he specifies a certain day. Today, right now, this moment, today, speaking through David, after such a long time since the wilderness experience, speaking through David after such a long time, as previously stated, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken later through David about another day. That's convoluted. That's very difficult. You have to go home and outline it, get it all down. But here's basically what the passage is saying. God made a promise before he brought the people out of, out of Egypt that he would take them to the land of Canaan. That was a promise God made through Moses. Upon what basis did God have to make that promise? Well, the fact that God already, in his providence and his foreknowledge, had provided for that everything necessary. When did he do that? way back after six days of creation. On the seventh day of creation, Genesis chapter 1, God rested. Why? Because he had finished all that he was going to create. And everything that he created was perfect, just like he wanted it, just exactly like he planned it. And he finished creating, and he spent a day resting. That's God resting from his works. That's God saying, I've done all the creating that is necessary or desirable or good. I finished the work of creation, therefore I'm going to rest. See that? Yeah, you see it. On the basis of that provision that God made way back there, Noah and the flood came. On the basis of that rest way back there, 
Moses was given by God the promise that he could take the children of Israel out of Egypt into the land God promised. On the basis of that back there, God wasn't going to strain, sweat, try to figure out a plan. He already had it planned. He, he had already formed the ages. He had already formed the ions, the events that would fill what we call history. He'd already got all that scheduled. He got that already. Got all the energy and everything necessary. Had that all planned out. So in God's mind, bringing the flood in Noah's day, which produced rest, bringing the people out of Egypt into the land of Canaan, which would have been rest for them, were fait accompli. God doesn't make a promise he can't deliver on. And because he can deliver on every promise that he's already made and has anticipated all those promises, he rests. He rests. And that's the call. That's the invitation. God wants you and me as his creatures, as his creation, to rest with him. What does that mean? That doesn't mean we go dormant, but it means we have absolute confidence, absolute peace, absolute assurance, absolute rest that God's got it all figured out. God's not going to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do about, I won't name anybody there. I, I don't know how to work out the problems in Iran. I, I, I'm confused. Would you please help me? God's not going to do that. God has that all worked out. You get what I'm saying? So God rests and has been resting since the seventh day of creation. That doesn't mean doing nothing. That means he's already stockpiled all the wisdom, knowledge, is directing all the affairs, knows all about everything from the number of hairs in your head to the sparrow that falls by the side. Of he's got that all figured out. And he's resting. And the promise is that you and I can enter into that rest. That's the invitation. Come, rest with me. And that's what David was saying in this psalm that he wrote 1000 BC. It was that today, if you hear his voice, today if you hear God say, come and rest, come and rest, come and rest. He's serious about that invitation. When the children of Israel made it into the Promised Land, they finally had rest. But not finally. There's a rest beyond that physical level. The writer of Hebrews challenges us to follow him as he unfolds several different kinds of rest available to the people of God. Jim calls this message, The Rest That Brings Relief. We heard the first of three parts today. All of it will come to you on CD for a gift of $7 or more. For your contribution of $66 or more, you can get the entire album called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. It contains 19 sermons on disc. Details in just a moment. Being a listener-supported ministry is not the easiest path, but it's the way God has called us to work, and He's been proven right about that for over half a century. If you can take a few minutes to pray for us or to donate to help with our expenses, we'd appreciate it, and we think lots of listeners would silently thank you too. Please get a hold of us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 
1-800-273-2313. And visit our website, rightstartradio.org. You can donate there, and you can link up to the Right Start podcast, published daily. To hear Pastor Jim's entire sermons without the broadcast breaks, you can play or download them from our site, no charge. The web address again is rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Jesus said that if we would take his yoke upon us, we would find rest. But some of us are still looking. Jim will explain what's going on as we move further into Hebrews 4 tomorrow. Please join us for the next edition of Right Start.